This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From our home, where the buffalo roam, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Sharko Captain Ed Robinson. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player, FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BehindTheBots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time now for yet another round of Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 31 people participate in Snap Decisions. Two of us called six out of the seven fights correctly, Jesse Mullen and Stuart Hunt. So congratulations to you both. The sure shot was Tantrum versus Adam94, with 28 out of 31 people correctly predicting that Tantrum would win. The biggest upset was Pain Train versus Smee, with just seven people predicting that Pain Train would win. All right, let's uh, run through this week's fight card. Really looking forward to uh, to hearing your predictions. Chris, Kyle, Lindsay, are you prepared? Prepared is I'll never be. <laughs> All right, good. Um, first first fight of the night this coming Thursday, Captain Shred Raider versus Axe Backwards. Now, interestingly, these are two Florida bots that are incredibly popular with the fans but have not had a lot of success in the arena. Uh, both Captain Shred Raider and Axe backwards have lost every single one of their last eight matches. So one of these bots is going to snap an eight match losing streak, unless it goes to a tie, uh, <laughs> which would be pretty funny. Um, your thoughts on this match, Kyle. Woof. Um, this is a tough one to call, but I'm going to give it to captain shredderator. Mm. Um, I know just based on what he has said on the show, Mr. Nave is going back to kind of his old setup, his early 2000s setup for the bot. Um, We know that he's kind of gotten his growing pains out of the way with that sheared pin in his first fight. And if we have 2003, 2004 Captain Shredderator out there against Axe Backwards on their best day, then... Captain Shredderator will still win. So I'm giving this one to Captain Shredderator, but I love Kurt and I love Axe Backwards and I wish I could give it to them. Uh, Chris, Lindsay, your uh, your prediction for this match? Florida Man versus Florida Man. I'm going to go with uh, Florida Man. <laughs> okay. No, uh, I'd say that Axe Backwards was, was probably designed 
to you know um, to challenge different different style bots than than a full a full body uh, spinner like that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with Captain Shredderator. All right, Lindsay, your thoughts for all the reasons stated and more. I will also be going with Captain Shredderator. However, I would love to see Axe backwards win. Uh, I'm going to say it's a clean sweep. I will also go Captain Shredderator. All right, on over to P1 versus Copperhead. Pretty zippy little um, bot in P1. This will be our first time seeing P1 in the main show. Um, we, it did make an appearance on uh, BattleBots Bounty Hunters. And uh, Copperhead, you know, really convincing uh, first win in, in its first match. Your prediction for this match, uh, Kyle? All right, P1, super fast. The flipper on it is very effective for pinning bots up against the wall. Bots shaped just like Copperhead. That said, um, just based on the vast amount of weird inf information that I collect off social media, uh, I know for a fact that P1 essentially showed up with two people this year. Mm. Um, they have a pit crew of two, whereas Copperhead brought their maximum amount, and they've got some of the best builders in the game working on that bot. Uh, they had a great first outing. It would be pretty hard not to call this match for Copperhead. I think P1's going to get some good flips in. I think it's going to be a good fight, but I think Copperhead's going to pull it out. All right. Chris, Lindsay, P1 versus Copperhead? Yeah, Copperhead's just a it's a dense little nugget of destruction. Um, you know, I, I do I agree with Kyle. I, I think that there's gonna be uh some great back and forth, but ultimately uh that that incredibly powerful um egg drum is gonna prevail. Okay. Lindsay? Well, I don't want to discount it for having a uh pit crew of two. Because we all know a very famous bot that has a pit crew of one that won its very first match. Mm. That's rusty. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, I do think, um, you know, considering at this point, Copperhead is a known quantity and we, we saw what it could do in its first match. And P1 has yet to have their first fight of the, of the season. I, I'm going to be going with Copperhead just because they, they probably had a little bit more time and resources and whatnot to uh, get make sure that that bot was dialed in. And, you know, P1 is probably still trying to, to work out those kinks. Well said. I'm also going to go with Copperhead. Uh, so we are <laughs> we are predicting in lockstep here. Um, we, we got to see an early preview of P1 at Orlando Maker Fair and Robot Ruckus. Um, so it's not a brand new bot. However, this is the first time that um, that P1 will be inside of the battle box. Um, the the design last year was pretty different. Um, I am really looking forward to seeing its speed and um, you know the, the the kind of the movement of of its flipper. Um, but I think just in this in this case, the ground game is going to be really important and. Um, Kind of just the kinetic energy of Copperhead's huge egg beater, I think, will um, will do some damage. So I'm going to give it to Copperhead. All right, on over to the heartbreaker of the night. Uh, this almost seems unfair. Beta versus Rusty. Uh, Kyle, your prediction, uh, your thoughts. Maybe we can uh, do some group therapy here. Uh, <laughs> you know uh, about about this match. What do you think I is going to happen? Just the. Uh... 
this feels like the selection committee does not care about my feelings, you know, because we all, all of us, all of the fans of the sport this season cried out into the ether, into the BattleBots Facebook group, into the BattleBots Facebook page on Reddit. We all cried out, protect Rusty. Mm. And they respond by giving it to Beta? Yeah. What is this nonsense? Yeah. Um, I'm not okay with it. I'm I'm pretty upset about it. Um, but, you know, Rusty's going to do a good job. Maybe they'll get a great triumphant self-right out there. Maybe they'll put a little chink in uh in beta's wedge with their with their hammer drill that would be cool but uh i think that we're gonna see a very dented mixing bowl at the end of this fight and beta is going to be the winner kyle do you think do do you think that beta will fire its hammer in this uh in this match if beta does not fire their hammer in this match they will still win Uh, Chris, Chris, and Lindsay, your your thoughts on this seemingly uh, lopsided match? All right, it's uh, it's two minutes and thirty six seconds into the beat a rusty fight. Uh, Beta is holding on to its first hammer strike, trying to find the most opportunistic time to unleash uh, in that in that final moment. Uh, that they do, they they land a devastating blow that ricochets harmlessly off of the adamantium salad bowl uh, atop Rusty, uh, devastating their entire machine. Rusty goes on to punch a uh, quarter-inch hole in the hull of Beta, um, hitting its uh, combustible fuel tank and causing an explosion that can be seen from space. I love it. I love it. So your your official prediction is uh, is Rusty. If I call Rusty and Rusty wins, do I get to win anything else? What what do you what what, what do you think would be a, a reasonable uh, prize from from your co-hosts? Uh, we 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 throw out all of the 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 victories that we've had from our ill-informed uh, predictions. And I'm just anointed the uh, the captain or champion of of uh, of these for the remainder of the season. I think that's fair. So you're going to go with Rusty. Rusty. Okay. All right. Lindsay, uh, are are you sticking with Rusty, or or uh, you know, are you going to go from the uh, spaceship from the future, Beta? You know, this is a tough one because I think Rusty's tracks will really give it that zippiness and maneuverability uh, <laughs> to be able to outmaneuver Beta. Um, just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think that this is a tough one for Rusty. It, it, it kind of goes against my um, personal beliefs to vote against it, but I do want to be in contention for another perfect uh, scorecard. So I'm going to have to say Beta. However, my hope is that underneath the the salad bowl, um, David puts like some green goo or like something so that when inevitably he does get smashed into the the mixing bowl uh, portion of his bot, which I love saying, um, just like green goo goo flies everywhere. Um, And uh, I think that'd be a nice visual gag. So here's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm holding out hope for. (laughs) 
It is with a heavy heart that I join you in um, and also predicting that Beta will win. Um, and also just voicing my general displeasure with uh, with this match. Um, it, it seems uh, just like so mismatched that it's almost like not fun to watch. Like I love Rusty so much and Beta just looks kind of like a, a faceless super soldier, you know? Um, and 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 Rusty is the the lovable rust bucket, you know, uh, co- coming in from the farm. And uh, I don't know, I don't know, unless unless something absolutely fantastic and magical, you know, happens in this match. Uh, I don't see. I, I I see Rusty probably getting tipped over a lot and really, uh, you know, working on on its self writing. And I hope that we get to see at least at least one beat a hammer strike uh but i guess we'll have to wait until thursday all right uh on over to our fourth fight of the night hypershock versus mammoth interesting match chris kyle Lindsay, your thoughts uh on on this one yeah oof um on a normal day in a normal tournament i would give this one to hypershock easily mm. But um, considering Hypershock has done a great job at just not being able to get it together this season, it's definitely going to Mammoth. Really? They're together, man. Like, their bot's working. It's functioning better than it was last season, and it was a monster last season. They're reliable. They're doing great work. It's hard not to give them this fight. Okay. Chris, Lindsay? Um... I mean, outside of a just a complete, absolute, uh, devastating technical failure, I can't really see how Hypershock could lose this match. Mm. Um, so it's going to be a close call. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lindsay, Hypershock versus Mammoth. Um, this is honestly one of the only ones that was giving me pause because I, I, um, I can see this new improved Mammoth actually pulling it out and so ah man like my gut wants to say hypershock just because i know you know at at their best what they're capable of but my uh my heart is saying mammoth and i'm gonna say mammoth wow okay um i i had predicted that Mammoth was going to to beat Huge earlier in the season, um, and that's one of my proudest predictions so far. Um, however, I am going to give this one to Hypershock. Um, I think that Will Bales uh, is just a bit faster and will manage to stay out of danger um, and get around to, to Mammoth and try and eat away at, at its wheels. Um, I think that that the speed and agility of Hypershock is really going to um, to to be a major factor in this. If Mammoth wins, I I can't see it not being in the top sixteen or top eight. Like um, it's now taken down two massive robots. Um, so this this is one that I'm really looking forward to. Like I can see in my mind, you know, Mammoth getting kind of like one of those ground scraping like wedges at the, at the end of its trunk and like really punting hypershock into the wall, which would be amazing. Um, But I don't think that's going to happen. I think that Will's driving is going to prevail. Um, But this is one that I'm really, really stoked about seeing. 
All right, uh, on over to Sporkinok versus Sub-Zero. Kyle, your prediction here. Oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I really hope Sporkinok has a great match. I really do, but Sub-Zero is just dialed in. They're, they're mm-hmm. looking great at this point in the tournament. I would bet on them against anybody, and against a new team like Sporkinok, I think they're going to have a really great showing. Um, yeah, I'm going to give this one to Sub-Zero, but I really hope Sporkinok has a great fight. All right. Chris and Lindsay, are you uh, sticking with your IBM uh, brother in Logan Davis? Uh, yeah, I'm going to... I'm Sub-Zero is my sub-hero, so I'm going to go Sub-Zero. <laughs> All right. Lindsay? I really I really want to vote for Sporkinok in this one um, because I want to see Lilith and I want to see that bot win a match. Um, however, after the, the showing that Sub-Zero has, uh, demonstrated, you know, er, earlier in this season, like, I I just think that it's, it's going to go Sub-Zero's way, but similar to what Kyle said, I'm looking for a really, really great match and I'm excited to see what Sporkinok could do. Okay. All right. This is a, this is a tough one for me. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Sporkinok, um, for this. Um, I know that, that their first match, um, you know, Lilith was, was still working out some, some gremlins in the design. Um, but I think that we're going to see a much improved Sporkinok for, um, for its second fight. Um, Sub-Zero, um, it's, you know, like it had some reliability issues in its first match. Its second match against Grabot, you know, really didn't test the robot the the way that it would against um you know like a full competitor so i i'm i'm not as confident you know in that robot's reliability if we see great reliability from sub-zero in this match i mean i i really will change my tune and think that you know um logan's pretty dialed in for the rest of the uh the season but i think i'm going to go with sporkanok okay um tracer versus bale spear kyle uh what do you think about this this match this is going to be a fun match to watch. Um, we're probably going to get to see Needle for the first time in the mm-hmm. regular season. The Needle is the Tracer minibot that, uh, that can get up under and use the rotating cams to actually lift opponents up. It's a really neat idea on a minibot. Um, Bale Spear is always entertaining in the box. They've got a really powerful spearing weapon. Um, and a pretty good driver. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I I think I want to give this one to Tracer, uh, but I could very easily be wrong. Uh, Earl might pull this one out. Um, you know, it's just hard to give a fight like this to the the guy that doesn't have the high kinetic energy weapon, and especially when that weapon isn't even really made for control, right? It's a, it's a punching weapon or mm. a spearing weapon. Um but I, you know what? It's going to be a fun fight either way, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, Chris, Lindsay. Oof. Um, I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to go with Tracer. I, I, I can't wait to see this mini bot in action. Um, and then of course, hey, devastating vertical spinner. Um, uh, you know, if we see this thing uh, perform half as good as it looks, I think that uh, you know it's going to be. Uh, doling out quite a bit of damage. Okay. Lindsay? 
this one's actually tough for me because uh, Tracer didn't have a great fight, obviously, in its first match. And we haven't seen Bale Spear yet, so it's hard to kind of judge it on prior showings. Um, but I imagine that in between, you know, matches, Jason's probably had time to kind of dial the bot in. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Tracer, but it is gonna be really fun to see Bale Spear back there and, and see what it can do this season. Um, and I would be really excited if they, if Earl per- pulled out the, the win, but, uh, I'll, I'll go Tracer. I'm gonna also go Tracer. Um, I think the interesting thing about this match is that both of these bots have basically flat faces. Um, so we're gonna see, like, a lot of, of, a lot you of know, kisses. A lot of kisses. Yeah, a lot of kisses. Um, and I guess the, the question is, you know, has Tracer dialed in that that vertical disc, and will it be able to to make it work? You know, in this this match. Um, yeah, that's that's the big question. Um, I, I know that that self writing is is a challenge also with this robot. Can't really see how Bale Spirit can get Tracer over onto its head. Um, but uh, but we're gonna have to see. I, I also want want to see kind of like the pushing be- between these two robots. You know, um, which which one has has a more powerful drivetrain? I, I would give it to Bale Spear, just given that it has four wheels versus two. But um, but yeah, another kind of important thing to look for. All right, um, on over to our main event: Whiplash versus Gruff. Two super tough bots. Two beloved teams. Kyle, your prediction here. Yeah, this is going to be a super fun fight for everybody involved. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to Gruff. Okay. I think that Gruff is a little bit too good at being a lifter for Whiplash to outlifter it, and I think that Whiplash's weapon isn't. Uh, oomphy enough to really do any massive damage to Gruff. Um, so this one's going to go to Gruff, but it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, I could be 100% wrong, and we could watch you know, Whiplash drive circles around Gruff. I just don't see that happening. Gruff's doing, uh, doing some great work this season, and I think they're going to keep pulling it out. Okay. Chris, Lindsay? I really think this is uh, going to be an interesting match too. I mean, you ha- you have two bots that are, you know, uh, they are uh, they're aggression and control bots. Uh, Whiplash is kind of the the king of this of this realm where it's it's a it's a damage bot that is piloted by someone who uh, tr- treats it as if it is a, a control and aggression bot. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, Gruff is kind of like the newcomer in that very same territory, and it's uh, it's going to be great, kind of seeing, uh, you know, a, a a newer bot and an older bot kind of going going at it. And I, you know, I I do think that um, we can't rule out Whiplash's uh, weapon. Um, I think that we're we're probably going to see a, a, an incredible driving display. I, I feel like ultimately in the end, I think with with damage points, uh, I predict that this match will go the full three minutes and those extra points are going to um, ultimately result in a whiplash win. 
Lindsay, your prediction? Chris uh, basically took the words out of my mouth. I think that this is going to go the full three minutes. I think it's going to showcase the best of both bots. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Ty goes to the spinner. And so I think Whiplash's weapon will be able to uh, demonstrate more damage to the ju judges. Um, and because of that, I, I say Whiplash. Well said, Chris and Lindsay. I'm also going to go with Whiplash. All right. If you would like to send us your predictions, look for our Fight Night post on our Facebook page and uh, get in on next week's action. All right, time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have two news items for you today. First up, our friends at the Saskatoon Combat Robotics Club this week released videos from the 2019 Canadian National Championships, originally held pre-COVID in August of 2019. At that event, which was officially the 43rd tournament organized by Kilobots, dozens of builders across North America and Canada traveled up to Saskatoon to compete with fairy weights, ant weights, and beetle weights at the Saskatoon X, a massive summer festival attended by more than 200,000 people. If you'd like to check out the videos from the event or catch a live stream on Twitch, look for details on www.kilobots.com. And finally, if you're interested in getting your hands on some real heavyweight weapons and drive motors, the team behind the 2020 RookieBot Pardon My French is selling their bots motor systems in hopes of raising enough money to go brushless in 2021. Part of my French is a Canadian team that was originally accepted to this season of BattleBots, but was unable to attend due to COVID travel restrictions. Check out details about the sale on the team's Facebook page. All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of episode six. Um, when I think about BattleBots, there are kind of like three distinct times in the season like the first kind of time is maybe the first one or two or three episodes where a lot of the robots are working out the kinks in their designs a lot of new rookies are kind of working out the gremlins um even returning veterans are are trying out new weapons and and really kind of getting their footing this middle section is kind of where we're where we are right now, where a lot of people are dialed in. We're still seeing um, unconventional designs and rookies um, coming out and trying new things. And the kind of third and final part is the the actual championships, where we see an increasingly narrowing field with a lot of veterans um, and kind of the same bots week after week. This this middle section is personally my favorite time <laughs> um, for BattleBots. Um, I really, really love seeing the entire field. I love seeing robots at, in their peak performance. And we really got to see a lot of that um, on display in this, this episode. Um, th just this was an incredibly fun episode, super destructive episode. Um, we saw two marquee fights, you know, ones that, that are defining moments, I guess, for the 2020 season. Um, so, so really on balance, this, this was a really great episode. I want to get into our first of the two marquee fights. Um, our, our first, uh, first fight of the episode, Valkyrie versus Rotator. Um, we saw amazing reliability from these two bots. Um, the match went the full three minutes with sustained weapon on weapon hits, huge sparks, golden paint all over the battle box. And in the final moments of the match, it really swung in Valkyrie's favor when it ripped off um, 
Victor Soto's huge wedge. Um, the match went to the judges. We saw something really cool where the three judges went into the battle box, which is pretty rare, so they could see the damage up close, um, which I just thought was awesome. I want to see more of that. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on this this opening fight, Valkyrie versus Rotator. This was a really explosive and fun match. Um, this this was this was a sword match, and um, you know it was uh, it was a lot of posturing. It was a lot of uh, a clever uh, tactics and maneuvering. Uh, you know, Victor uh, kind of led off with a pretty strong uh, strategy. Uh, and uh, Valkyrie like adapted to that strategy over and over and over again until it had, um, you know, just it, it caught a few, uh, that wedge a few too many times, uh, ultimately, um, you know, shearing off a considerable portion of uh, of of Rotator's uh, armor, and uh, you know, the rest is history. Hmm. Yeah, it was interesting because Rotator's weapon is about half the weight of Valkyries. Valkyrie obviously didn't run with with a with a plow at all. Um, so it was a pretty offensive um, configuration versus a mix of offense and defense in rotator. And really it came down to to weapon reach, weapon size. Um, but Rotator really hung in there. I mean, it, it it was a strategy that was working for for most of the fight, and we saw it when when it went to the judges. It really almost could have gone either way. I, I think that this was probably a six seven um, point split, just based on the the performance from from both of these drivers. Mm-hmm. This match showed me why I love. Leanne Cushing and Victor Soto so much. Full disclosure, all out in the open, right? Everybody knows going into this fight that Victor's going to make it to the top 32. Leanne's going to make it to the top 32. They could have phoned this thing in. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? They could have gone out there and had a safe match where they didn't do too much damage to each other, where they, you know, both played the defensive game and like, got some good hits in but really they were just trying to like survive and both of these teams went out there to get some and that made me so happy this was a great fight i can't believe this was the first fight of the episode Uh, everything i mean this was like straight up top three best battle bots matches of all time arguably top one it it was phenomenal they did a fantastic job Fun times all the way around. Fireworks in the box. I mean, this is what we love about the sport. This is everything we love about the sport. And both these teams did a great job. Yeah, I was going to say, this was just a a marquee fight, banner fight for the entire series. This is what every match, I think, aspires to be. And and they they did it. They showcased the just engineering feats that are required to be able to have a robot sustain that much damage deal that much damage and still be functioning at the end of three minutes i mean this hats off to both of them this is this is the battle bots fight i i think in in my opinion um just unrelated to the fight itself i really liked the shot of the judges going into the battle box and i wish that the show would kind of fix the judging 
portion of it when it goes to a judge's decision. I want to see the judges go into the box and take a look at the damage. Um, maybe even talk about um, about the, the score. I'd love to see more scorecards just in general. I think like the judging piece of it could be tweaked a little bit. The weirdest thing to me is that they don't show the scores on the screen. Um, it's kind of like if if you, I don't know, in the Olympics, what, what's what's the event where they, they show the, the numbers? What is it, diving or uh, skating? Figure skating. Figure skating, right, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of like if we went into Olympic figure skating and there was just no scorecards, <laughs> just like oh that person won, you know. Um, so so yeah, I I really like the uh, that that added segment, and I, I hope that we get to see more of it. Um, all right, on over to our second match of the night: Gigabyte versus Extinguisher. Um, in this match, I mean, we went into this knowing that Gigabyte um, Gigabyte's super powerful, but Extinguisher is really fast maybe too fast this this season. Um, this is now the second time that we've seen Extinguisher Captain John Flack um, make make an error in the the box rush and run into the wall, which is never really how you want to start start off a match in, in BattleBots. Um, making that error allowed Gigabyte to spin up to its full speed and really go to work with this 120-pound shell, um, ripping off extinguishers um plow and bending its its hammer pretty severely um so yeah pretty pretty one-sided match here um your thoughts on this fight need more wedge (laughs) yeah like that is i mean we have seen so many bots with powerful weapons go up against the likes of Gigabyte or a Captain Shredderator, you know, a really powerfully, fully spinning bot, um, a really powerfully armored, fully spinning bot like that, and survive. Mm. And they didn't. They need more wedge. I am not a robot builder. I am not an engineer. But I can say from my completely uneducated place over here in the corner, more wedge. Uh, But yeah, it was... I mean, John Flack was showing, I think, a little bit of his age in this fight. Um, you know, rushing right in, hitting the wall, and then just not having the armor configuration needed to go up against a bot like Gigabyte. That's what we saw. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's tough when, when your plan is, I'm going to, to stop the shell, and then what's step two, you know? Um, <laughs> right. Like, can I, can I keep the shell, <laughs> like, up against the wall? Is that... Um, and like, what what does it take to to do that? I, I will say that like the the new floor seems to be pretty slick. So like maybe maybe like some of these super speedy bots are are running into challenges there, um, because as soon as you're you're getting up to fifteen miles an hour, um, it's tough to turn when your opponent is going left or right out of out of their starting square. I agree with that, and I think that you know um, the floor changes throughout the event. It gets dings, it gets like the paint gets a little bit more scuffed up. It's a completely different experience from the first time you drive on it to the second time that you drive on it. Especially if you're a bot that's got, um, you know, a lot of speed to it, and perhaps his tires are a little bit slippier than some of the other bots. But yeah, he definitely had some uh, some issues controlling that bot in this fight, and it showed. It was interesting getting a real taste of exactly the uh, amount of energy that gigabyte is able to 
uh, to inflict on on on, on its uh, on its opponent. Um, extinguisher after firing that hammer, you see Gigabyte uh, kind of clip it, and it really twists that. It looks like it's about maybe half an inch or three quarter inch uh, thick steel uh, arm on that on that hammer, and it just twisted it like a Twizzler. Um, wild, wild to see that. Yeah, definitely a lot of power. All right, on over to Slapbox versus Sharko. This was our most wholesome fight of the night. Slapbox, built by the Yankaskis kids and driven by a 14-year-old high school freshman against one of the veterans of the sport, Ed Robinson and Sharko, the last surviving art bot in the field. The fight itself was awesome with this moment where Slapbox picked up Sharko vertically, blasted it with fire, and carried this 250-pound, six-foot-long metal shark across the arena. This was Ed's last season of BattleBots. He ended up selling Sharko before the taping began, and it really felt like this episode was his curtain call. After two decades in the sport, it was really nice to kind of see that that send-off um, from BattleBots. Um, they really like this builder a lot. Obviously, we like him a lot, too. He's, he's coming up. He's our interview today. Um, and, and it was great to kind of give him that space to show grace, you know, in the, the face of defeat and um, really kind of tip his hat um, to, to the show and, uh, and to his competitor. Uh, your thoughts on this fight? I thought it was a great fight. Some really awesome moments. Um, really good stuff all the way around. Like that bite that Charco did right onto uh, Slapbox's active weapon was awesome. Um, yeah, the moments after the fight were really nice too. It just, you know, this is, this is like the, the family teams in the sport. This is the cool art bots in the sport. This is a, a lot of the stuff that people tune in for. And, uh, both of these teams put on a great show and, um, you know, we don't really know if this is Ed Robinson's last fight in the battle box, you know, that something we'll address in the interview a little bit later too. But, uh, if it is, this is a pretty good way to go out. Kyle, is this the the death of Artbots? Has has BattleBots officially gone corporate? Uh, no, no, not at all. I, I don't see how that's even possible. Um, first of all, you have bots that are competitive, and you could even call them art shatter. Um, you, you know, like there's there's definitely the that sculpting element of what people do. This is not the end of Artbots by any means, uh, but it might be the end of the kind of builder that is Ed Robinson, the kind of guy that comes out there with, you know what, I'm going to make it look like an animal first, yeah. and then we'll figure out the rest. Um, so we'll see. I mean, the rest of the field doesn't really look like this, and you definitely can't make very many comparisons between like a Rusty or a Sharko. Um, mm. Rusty is what I would call eclectic art, whereas Sharko is fine art, <laughs> if you will. Sure. Um, but it's it might be the end of this kind of art bot. Yeah, sure. yeah. It's it's kind of funny. It's like BattleBots has all types of competitors and all types of bots. And, um, you know, kind of the classic era, the era that Ed came out of, it was really, it just seemed more experimental. And, um, and this, this ethos of I'm going to build something that's artistic first and put it into the, the box, um, 
I think I, I feel personally it's going away a little bit. You know, Shatter is beautiful. It's gorgeous. But it's 100% a corporate bot, you know. Rusty, I, I get Rusty's kind of like a garage builds. It is a garage builds. Um, doesn't feel like an art bot, though, you know. Um, it my, makes I worry. you feel things. I don't, like, if that's what art is, is like something that makes you feel, I would definitely classify Rusty as that. I mean, you know, it's it's an object that has a life of its own. And in a lot of ways that is art. Yeah. All right. That's fair. That's fair. I feel, I feel like though, I mean, like even, I mean, it's like 5% art bots when in the past it was maybe 50%, you know, that's accurate. Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. On over to Mad Catter versus Malice. Uh, the giant fake out of 2020. I mean, I think that we hyped ourselves up so much about this, this fight. Um, it was the fourth fight in the, the fight card. You know, these are two undefeated robots, you know, two, like a super powerful destructive bot and malice against this really amazing driver and Calvin Eba and Mad Catter really kind of going head to head. Somebody is going to advance. Somebody is going to uh, have heartbreak and um, almost none of that happened. <laughs> um, malice did the thing. It landed on its back and just against all odds, it couldn't get itself out of that position it's something that's it was it's been bugging me since Thursday like honestly today i was i was in the car i was driving and thinking about that and just imagining like malice could have fixed this or maybe they they will fix this later in this this season by just welding a very thin strip of metal like just a i don't know like like a even something the size of a pencil, you know, just so that it didn't just have full contact, you know, with, with its back. Um, and, and Mad Catter just let it bake out in the sun, basically. Um, didn't flip it back over. I'm not going to kind of make a judgment about whether that's sportsmanlike behavior or not. Um, maybe, maybe you want to weigh on this. Um, and also we, we saw no active weapon at all from Mad Catter. Um, so that was a choice. Um, your thoughts on on this this match? Pretty pretty unconventional match. Remember that time I predicted that this was going to be the most explosive match in BattleBots history. <laughs> it should have been. Yeah. <laughs> These are two drivers that know each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they've, they've competed against each other uh, a lot on the West coast and I've been at the same tournaments in the West coast. Uh, this, these two teams know each other. Well, um, they, they're all kind of in the same California circles. Uh, this was, uh, a dissection of malice in a lot of ways. <laughs> and it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it from a strategic standpoint, but I don't know how good of TV it is. Yeah. It, it was entertaining to watch, but, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Um, you, you, you see this occasionally. You see these kind of moments where the opponent will help out their their competition. You know, both of these robots are going to go to the top 32. Really, the outcome of this fight is more about seeding than anything else. Maybe Mad Catter hurts itself a little bit in the strength of schedule because it never fired that weapon and didn't help out its competitor. I don't know. Um, you know, would would we have wanted to see more destruction? Possibly. 
Um, yeah. So I, okay. Uh, malice, an $89,000 bot. Yes. An ever built three eighths, one and a half inch zinc plated hex head bolt from home <laughs> Depot, 28 cents. <laughs> Uh, attaching a one and a half inch bolt to the back of your bot so it doesn't land perfectly on its back, priceless. <laughs> <laughs> it was so sad to look at all of the David's faces and Adrian or Bunny w when they were like realized what was happening to their bot and realized they just could not do anything to stop it. Oh, that was so tragic. Maybe maybe we're looking at this wrong, guys. Maybe um, you know the the folks on Mad Catter saw their friend that they were going to have to fight their friends, and they knew how much time and money their friends had put into their robot, and they figured out a way to win without really hurting their robot, and they did that. Mm, yeah, benefit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's look at it in a wholesome way. Yeah, I like that. Um, all right, on over to Tantrum versus Adam94. This was a tough second fight for Adam94, which is really getting a crash course in combat robotics this season. In its first match against the Big Dill, Adam94 struggled to spin up their weapon. We saw the weapon working great in this match against Tantrum. It's big and heavy and sticks out from the front of that robot. However, Tantrum was able to take a pretty big hit to the face and get under Adam94, flipping on its head. Adam94 has no self-writer, ended up unable to continue, losing the match in just 73 seconds. Is there hope for Adam94 for the rest of this season? Kyle, Chris, Lindsay, your thoughts? I don't think there is. Um, I mean, what was really interesting about this is you look at Adam94's giant weapon, and, you know, the big gap in the middle where all those belts are. And we all had a lot of questions about that when we first saw that. Like, if you remember back at the way back at the beginning of this season, just a few mm -hmm. weeks ago, um, we all were like, that's an interesting choice. That's a choice that they're making. That's a little interesting. What's really interesting is that Tantrum's weapon is like exactly the right width to fit in between their two blades and on their drisk and chop all those belts right off. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like the selection committee was like, we want to see this happen. And <laughs> that's exactly what they got. Great fight. Uh, Tantrum did an awesome job. The Adam 94 folks did as good of a job they, they could, considering they were pitted up against a bot that was literally designed to take out their weapon. Um, so yeah, it was, it was what it was. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Kyle, I, I totally missed this this detail. So you're saying that Adam 94's belts are also unprotected on the bottom of the robot? No, no, they're they're unprotected right there in the middle. Like when they made weapon to weapon contact, that it was makes... just like the Tantrum's weapon disc was just grinding in on those belts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough to get flipped flipped on your head um, when you don't have a self rider. Um, they they have those little kind of bunny ears that stick out beyond the, the weapon, and the hope is you know you're able to to drive inverted and crash yourself into the wall and hopefully get yourself back over. Um, kind of the the bite force style of of combat robotics, but um, you need your weapon to be working for that to happen. You need your weapon to be working. Yeah, 
I, I, I would say, you know, like, it, it seems like when you build a combat robot, you should try and put it into the weirdest position you can find it, <laughs> find for it, you know? Um, like, drive it more upside down than drive it right side up, I guess, you know? Um, and really try and, try and ferret out these, these design challenges uh, earlier in the build process. But, uh, but yeah, tough, tough matchup for, for the Adam 94 folks. Yeah, for sure. All right, on over to Pain Train versus Smee. For fans of Pain Train, this match was painful. The bot wasn't as nimble or as fast as Captain Evan Arias wanted it to be. Pain Train continues to wheelie when it's moving in the box, and its weapon doesn't have the reach of a lot of its competitors. He did land a big hit on Smee fairly early in the match, popping one of Smee's undercutters off of its drive pod. The pain train ended up losing its entire death harmonica, which popped out of its main body, which is something I've never seen before on Battle Pass. Um, we didn't see really fantastic driving from either team in this match. And even though it came down to a split judge's decision, it could have probably gone either way. Your thoughts on uh, this fight, pain train versus me. I really, I didn't see the end coming. Um, uh, you know, I had called the fight for, for Smee and things were were looking um, pretty good there right at the end, uh, and uh, I, I couldn't believe that one shot that uh, Smee was able to kind of deal out right there at the at the very end, um, just absolutely dismantling Pain Train's uh, harmonica of death, as I call it. Um, you know, I I I. I Maybe saw a different fight uh, than some of the judges, um, but uh, you know it was uh, it was good to see Pain Train get its get its win, and uh, you know I, I I do wish them luck and hope that they're able to uh, you know resolve some of the issues that are ongoing for them. Mm, yeah, uh, the big thing that that I am surprised about with Smee is that when it closes, it makes more of like kind of the shape of like a C. Versus like the shape of an O. Like I, I really thought that when Smee closed, it would it would completely in, engulf its opponent, but that's not really happening. Um, and maybe if there was a more flexible kind of center part uh, between these two drive pods, or the body was not quite as long, <laughs> maybe we'd see slightly different performance. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, how how what what's what's your um, what, what what are your thoughts on Smee now seeing it um, with with two matches under its belt? I think they've had a lot of issues trying to figure out how that hinge system is going to work for them. Um, I know they had to make some modifications at the tournament, quite a few modifications at the tournament, just to get it to do the bend the way they needed it to. Um, that said, he did a great job adapting with that drive, you know, just kind of going side to side and hitting those those two weapons into the side of Pain Train um, as needed. It worked. It worked out okay. It's just, you know, they do have to do some more experimentation, I think, with the, with the hinge system. And as for Pain Train, man, they just got to figure out their drive. I mean, yeah, okay, they lost the weapon. Some, that looked like it was honestly like a, like an assembly error more than anything else. It didn't look like anything like sheared off. Um, 
but they've got to figure out the drive. I mean, what makes, we all know this from watching Evan compete here on the East Coast. Uh, he is just a relentless driver. Everybody talks about, oh, they're the best driver. Oh, they're the most aggressive driver. Evan is relentless. He does not stop. He sees a moment where he could give your bot mercy and he laughs and does not give it to you. Um, and he needs a drivetrain that reflects that. And, you know, we're just not seeing that out of the paint train right now. Yeah, I think um, obviously both Evan and Joe have a lot of experience now fighting in the, the Beetleweight arena. But I think for both of them, this is their first season, obviously, in the heavyweight uh, battle bots arena. And I think that for both of them, this experience is just very, very valuable learning and education experience that they will be able to take into their bots over the off season and improve and come back next season with, with probably more of a fully realized uh, bots that they had kind of envisioned they would be going in with this season. Um, if, if that makes sense. And I, I think that, the off season, you know, should they uh, apply again, which I hope both of them do, obviously, um, should they apply again? The, the knowledge that they've gained, I think during, during this season will, will really help push them beyond, um, you know, the, what they were able to do this season, which I think is still, still pretty cool. SME is still, you know, unlike anything we've seen for sure. And I think Joe, um, just judging by his reactions, you know, during the episodes, I think he's uh, he's pretty happy with Smee. Um, and for him, it might just be a matter of how to, you know, fully engulf your opponent, like you were talking about, Luke, and maybe how to make those spinners on his bot a little bit more punishing. Um, but for both of them, I, I really see bright futures considering, you know, how much they were able to learn in these matches. And finally, our main event, Uppercut versus Sawblaze, really kind of bookending this incredible episode with huge kind of like marquee fight right at the start and this super explosive main event at the end. Um, Uppercut and Sawblaze, as they really said on the show, you know, these are against friends and MIT grads, Alex Hattori and Jameson Go. Tough match for Sawblaze, really, um, in the rock, paper, scissors of combat robotics. Um, Sawblaze is a pretty tactical control bot. And just facing this absolutely <laughs> unpredictable kinetic monster in in, in, in Uppercut. Um, JMO really had to stay perfectly squared up against his opponent, but he made a driving error pretty early in the match, showing his side uh, of his robot to uppercut, um, which really took advantage and, and punted Sablaze into the arena wall, and then came back with that huge hit with um, that, that fireball that kind of went up right in front of the, the judges. Incredibly visually um, interesting, very destructive. Your thoughts on this main event? Man, if you had told me in 2020 we would see Jameson go and Sawblaze in a squash match and they would be the ones getting squashed, I would have laughed at you. We've seen them go up against high kinetic weapons before. We've seen them go up against scary bots before. And Jameson figures out a way to pull it out. Those wedge configurations he puts on, the wedge light configurations he puts on, he always figures out a way to pull out a win, either by low ground or whatever. Um, we saw him 
just chopped chunks of armor off of Whiplash at the beginning of this season. And none of that mattered in this fight. <laughs> Not a lick of it mattered. It was just pure power to its face and all the strategy in the world, all the configurations in the world meant nothing. Jameson brought a gun to a hand grenade fight. <laughs> it's, you, yeah. can have, you can have every uh, best laid plan in the world, and, 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 and Jameson, we, we see in the past, uh, does this you know, in, in incredibly well, formulating a strategy and going in and deploying that strategy you know, bar none, Jameson's in that top two or three, uh, you know, builders and, and, and drivers. Uh, but I think that there's this category of chaos bots a la, um, I would say, uh, you know, uh, a death roll and, and um, <laughs> not Deep Six. Deep Six can self-destruct at any moment, too. A la death roll and uppercut that you, you just can't have a plan for. Um uh, Jameson might have been better off actually just wearing a blindfold and seeing what happens out there because, you know, uppercut really all it has to do is square up and you're going to get hurt really, really bad, regardless of what your defensive configuration is, regardless of what your offensive configuration is. I, I, I just wouldn't want to have been in, in Jameson's shoes. Uppercut really seems to me to be like the fully realized version of deep six, something that has that massive, massive, massive hit, but is able to be maneuvered <laughs> and driven and not just a glass cannon. Um, so yeah, man, I, with Gemini, maybe you kind of expect the result that it did. Maybe not that quite as extreme, but maybe it was a little less surprising, but with Sawblaze, I think it really, really proved itself to not just be a fluke. It is, it is insanely powerful and damaging and scary and terrifying. And uh, man, yeah, I mean, as a, as a Sawblaze uh, fan, um, it was equal parts just devastating <laughs> to see that bot get torn apart the way it was, but also riveting because we've never seen, I mean, Sawblaze is just, is, is a very reliable bot. It, it isn't taken out in 20 seconds or 30 seconds. It just doesn't really happen to, to Jameson go and that team. And it was just not a match for uppercut. And we've it's just the likes of which we've never seen. And so that was, that was, just crazy. That's all I have to say. And I'm glad that it looks like they are able to rebuild because um, Jameson put a, a pretty lengthy you know, like um, report out there afterwards. But whoa, that's all. Whoa, indeed. Um, all right. In in this episode, uh, the show also released its power rankings. Kyle, Chris, Lindsay, I what 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 what's what's the purpose of the power rankings? Like, uh, should we should we put any? Any uh, stock in in this this list of top ten bots is uppercuts not even in it. <laughs> what yeah. is number nine? Episode, but weren't they talking about weapon power ratings? Like specifically, whose weapon is the most powerful? Well, we haven't even seen Beta's weapon yet, Kyle. How is that at number eight? 
because they've seen like that's why I was saying I think that the reason we're talking about weapon power here is because they put um you know sensors and whatnot on these weapons in the test box and that's how they got these numbers they did not outright say that but they did talk about the accelerometers that they put on tombstone's ball you know what i mean like they've been tr they were trying to do the math to say which weapons were actually the most powerful gruff and is a lifter kyle gruff is on this list all right how is uppercut not on this list and gruff is not their lifter they it's said it in the episode it's flamethrowers on this. What's going on? <laughs> they said in the episode that it was because of their flamethrowers. Their flamethrowers were able to produce more heat than any other flamethrower in the in the game, which is why they got that uh, that like ranking. Um, I don't know why they put this out. People like stats. People bet on BattleBots, so you know. They like, bet on BattleBots. Wait, are you serious? There, I could be making money this entire time off of my predictions. Yeah. What? Okay, where can I bet on BattleBots, Kyle? Send send me a private message. Let's. Uh... Yeah, you. The, yeah, you could. You could definitely. I mean, I don't because I lose all my money. But <laughs> yeah, you can bet on BattleBots. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's why they did this. But I thought they were talking specifically about weapon power. Okay. And by that measure, yes, Vita's hammer should be in the runnings for sure. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. All right, not Chomp, not uh, not Shatter, but Beta. Well, Shatter is an electrical hammer. Inherently, can't do as much damage as a pneumatic hammer, or generate as much force, I should say. Um, and if you're going to talk about Chomp, Chomp's got—I mean, yes, I know Chomp is 500 pounds, but Chomp's got a lot more going on in that chassis than. Um, just the hammer right beta is just armor and hammer chomp is armor flamethrower hammer you know connection turret to the drive system it's the they did not have the full weapon dedication uh that you that you would see with just beta also chomps entirely pneumatic right it's like a 100 percent pneumatic system um they're not just uh putting all of their air pressure into hammerheads Hmm. Well, uh, the power rankings just real fast from 10 to 1. Gruff, Sawblaze, Beta, Valkyrie, Rotator, Bloodsport, Witch Doctor, which is sitting at 0 and 2. Endgame, Hydra, and Tombstone. So I guess that is all that I have to say about that. <laughs> um, I also want to note that now that we're at the halfway point of the season, there are three bots that are on the official roster, but we haven't seen yet on the main show or BattleBots Bounty Hunters. Those three bots are Kronos, Rampage, and War EZ. Also, it's looking increasingly unlikely that we're going to see Ice Wave or Bronco in the main show. Last week, Team Wyachi's Jake Ewert confirmed on this podcast that Son of Wyachi was only appearing on BattleBots Bounty Hunters. And that's it for this week's predictions, news, and fight night recap. After the break, our interview with Sharko Captain Ed Robinson. This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Combat Robot Floor Posting. Combat Robot Floor Posting is a Facebook group for sharing memes, bad Photoshop, and dramatic Google Doc drops relating to any and all forms of combat robotics. 
They have new memes every day related to the latest BattleBots episode, which are way better than the inferior memes found in a group where we pretend to be at BattleBots filming. Come to Combat Robot Floor Posting for the dankest Combat Robot memes. Did a meme group really buy an ad here? This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Sharko Captain Ed Robinson. Ed is hands down the most colorful character at BattleBots. He's been building heavyweights since the 1990s and was a key figure in the early history of the sport. He's competed at BattleBots, King of Bots, RoboGames, and Robotica, and hosted his own competition in the early 2000s called Las Vegas Street Fight. Outside of combat robotics, Ed is a former professional sword swallower who spent years touring with Renaissance fairs up and down the East Coast. Nowadays, he's hard at work building an off-the-grid compound in the California desert. We're really looking forward to catching up with Ed in the hour ahead, so welcome back to the show. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> <laughs> Not that you now, were you? <laughs> and I, I have to say, so um, so you, you, got, you got on the phone with us, like, I don't know, two or three minutes ago, and your yeah. background is so cool. Like, um, can you describe kind of like what 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 is going on like inside of your house? Like, I saw some stalagmites, some stalactites, some really cool lights. Like, um, oh, the man cave that I'm in now. Yeah, well, I'm building. Have you, I don't know if you know Burning Man. Have you ever heard of Burning Man? I'm sure there's a type of tent called a yurt. It's made from insulation panels, the big white foam panels. You just tape them together and strap them in the desert. What I've done is made them out of plywood, and I've made four of them here in the desert. They're 110 foot each because 110 foot is allowed without a permit. So I have four of these little 110 foot buildings. This one's my man cave in my office. It looks like a cave. One's the kitchen, one's my shop, and the other one's going to be my bedroom. It'll have a steampunk thing when I get it done. I love it. I love it. The theming in your man cave is really neat. Like it really looks like a real cave. Like you man cave. I, just, I was trying to figure out what to do. So I said, Oh, let's make a man cave. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, you know, the, the last time that, that we interviewed you was back in August, 2019. And yeah. it's like, even though it was only a year and a half ago, it just feels like in the world, like five years happened. I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like I've aged five years just myself because um, just so much has changed since since August 2019. Um, I, I, I would totally encourage anybody who's listening to go back and listen to that. That interview is so good. Like, just the stories you told were, were really great. Um, but I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, can you catch us up, you know, to... Well, I have short hair now. <laughs> I mean, I have short hair. That's something I've had for the first time in my life now. Uh, I had to cut my own hair. That's how this lockdown has affected everything so drastically. I, I'm in the desert. It's 112 degrees during the day. My hair has always been way, I mean, down to my knees, basically. And I couldn't take it. So I got some shears and I cut my own hair off. And I actually like it. It looks pretty good now. So. You know, when things happen and they suck, you just kind of got to roll with them and take what happens and try to make the best out of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris and Lindsay, they're, they're also cutting their own hair, and they're doing a pretty good job. Um, Kyle, are, are, you, are you cutting your own hair yet? I mean, has, has it gotten to that point? 
Uh, my my lovely wife has cut my hair on two different occasions. Uh, the first time she did one of those classic sitcom uh, mistakes with the buzzers and and <laughs> the big old chunk up by, by my ear. Uh, the second time she did a great job. So yeah, it's happening. Yeah, yeah. you got to do what you got to do, man. Yep. It's Chris and Lindsay. They they were do they were doing haircuts in the backyard, um, and like. I don't know. I, I think you guys could have like a second career as, as barbers because uh, you're, you're, you're pretty talented. I still remember the Mohawk in the pits. Yeah. Yeah. So, so wait, are, are you, are you cutting your own hair then? Like, I mean, uh, how is, is that hard to yeah, do? That, it's, and it's rocking. I'm really happy with it. I'm, I'm primping the Mohawk. I got the mustache working back out. It's almost past my lips. I'm, I'm really happy with the way my hair is looking. Actually, I'm surprised I never had short hair before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, like, I like everybody in the world, or at least they should be. You know, is is isolating, and you're like really isolating because you're like out in the desert. Can you? I don't know. Give us some tips on like how to how to how to do that well. You know, because like I feel like a lot of people are kind of feeling like hermits. You know, it's easier for me because of you know my mental issues. I I, I am better away from people. So mm. I've spent a lot of time in my life exactly there, away from people. Mm. I'm good at hauling a bunch of stuff out. I mean, if you have to go 14 miles for water, then you get a 55-gallon drum, and you fill it up, and you use it to fill another 55-gallon drum. The whole trick is being supplied. I have right now about a month's worth of supplies easily on hand and seeds and everything else to do other stuff, and I'm nowhere near as happy or set up as I need to be. It's all about having a whole bunch of supplies. It's it's interesting because you you say that um, you know you work so well in isolation, but we also know that you are an incredible performer and love the spotlight and love being in front of people and entertaining people. Is that the other side of the coin? Like you know you you need to recharge the batteries so you could like you go to your secret lair. Uh, and then you just kind of explode out of it when it's time to put on the show. That's almost exactly what it is. I I did the AMA for uh, the Reddit the other day, and I did it live on Zoom, and I showed up with clown makeup on. Uh, they, I, I don't think they understood what was going on. It took them quite a while to figure out, hey, why is that wearing clown makeup? I'm like, that's just who I am. It's, I like to do weird things when I'm around people. I think it, it helps me hide who I really am inside if I put that other face on. I think you, you'll find some of the best comedians and, and musicians that have ever lived uh, will tell the same exact story. I think so, because there's a definite difference when I put that clown makeup on. I mean, I was a dunk tank clown for a couple, for a year and a half, almost two full years. And when you put that makeup on and start going, oh, I enjoy, hey, you, dummy, if I had a face like yours, I'd wear a camouflage hat, too. <laughs> I enjoy. And you sit on the bench, you do that for four hours straight, and it really does change you. But you can't act like that outside of the makeup. It has to be did, uh, in the makeup. Did any of that experience um, uh, help you with like learning to taunt other teams in combat robotics? Oh, absolutely. We try to taunt each other, and I, I laugh at it. I can't do it. I know what I should be doing, and I could do the WWE thing all day long, but it just when I start trying to do it, since it's not who my character is, I'm just such a nice guy, I just can't pull off being mean to other teams. 
it doesn't work for me. Mm. They always try to get us to, but it's just one of those things. So like with SME, I started picking on them and I literally started laughing. I couldn't do it. I just started laughing so hard. <laughs> How do you pick on SME? That thing's awesome. You know, speaking of uh, your fight with, with, with SME and, uh, you know, um, you know, we've seen two fights from you this season. Let's jump right in and talk about the new Sharko uh, that we all had an opportunity to see. It's 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 an incredible art bot, and Sharko. I'd have to say that like it's probably one of the more organic bots that we've ever really seen. The Sharko literally looks like a living shark in the yeah. battle. I think I finally hit that fine line. I mean. Like the other versions of Sharko and all the other ones I've done before, they've all been built to look like an animal, specifically. That, that's what was in my head when I was designing it and building it, was to look like an animal. This time, I did something different. I made it look like a robot that happened to look like an animal. Mm. I moved robot ahead of animal in the design process. And, and how do you start that design process? Like... Like I okay, I know I, I I need to kind of bring this organic look and feel into a bot. You know, everybody else can kind of start with you know uh, uh, you know mathematics, physics. You know, where do you start when you're kind of trying to approach it the same way Mother Nature would approach it? That that's the issue is I have to make the shark swim like a shark. That's why he has two big monster wheels on the outside and not four little ones inside. The only the way to make him move in that swimming motion is to have two wheels kind of close to the center, kind of like a kite laid on the ground. Mother Nature made the shark swim. I have to do the same thing. That's why it has two big wheels. That's not the best. Two big wheels is obviously not the best, but that's what's required to make it look the way it does. And like the, the, the tail whip, um, I mean, you're literally cracking that thing like a like a whip in some of the in some of the matches. Like, was that just? Uh, did you just kind of happen upon that technique after you built it, or were you kind of planning? No, no, that's always been a specific attack. Ever since the very first shark, if you watch my show, oh, and I need to say this real quick. And during that, that was a great announcement, but I have never competed at Robo Games. You mentioned that I had been at Robo Games. I just wanted to make sure that gets cleared up. I have not done Robo Games. I never made it to one of David's events, unfortunately. Anyway, if you watch my uh, performance in the, what was it, Extreme Warriors Season 2 Robot Wars Robot Rebellion episode, I won every fight right through to the finals, and every single fight I won by smacking the other guy with my tail. Every single one of them. Hmm. That's that, that that's fascinating. I I we got to go, uh, kind of go through the archives and take a look at some of the old matches. Um, it's always so, been his favorite move. He's a flak bot. He's always been a flak bot. Now, was this a Sharko that also featured a uh, like a vertical spinner on on its head? Sharkoprian was the last version. He got that name because a Helicoprian is the prehistoric shark, and it actually has. A saw blade just like that on its lower jaw. Right. So I got the name Sharkoprian from the actual animal, the Helicoprion. That's why he got all that extra stuff on his name. And, uh, you know, where did you uh, kind of come up with this idea for the pivot between uh, between seasons to um, 
to like explore this this new uh, this new Grabot Flipperbot uh, design. Oh, we King of Bots wanted us to come fight there, and they you know we wanted to build a whole new bot for them. And John is a pneumatics guy. I mean, that, he knows pneumatics. And one of us had made a joke. I even forget who it was. It might not even been us. Somebody said one day, yeah, but sharks that don't bite suck. And I, it just struck <laughs> me. Yeah, right? Sharks that don't bite suck. So I needed to build a shark that bit. And that's where we came up with the idea for this new shark, though. It, basically, he's just a big biting shark. So you had a, a couple of you know, matches that we had a chance to see this season. Uh, you know, your, the first match that we got to see was, was Sharko versus Smee. And Smee is also a very uh, unconventional bot. How was, uh, how was it leading up to that fight? And like, you know, uh, what, was your, uh, what was your instincts of how uh, you were going to bring the fight to Smee? Going in, I was a slightly overconfident because I, I was not aware my speed controller was going to burn up halfway through the fight. Mm. So I was going to just play around with the fun a little bit and see how their springy action went. I wasn't worried about their weapons at all. I know my tires. I know what they could take, and I knew what their weapons could do. So I wasn't worried about that in the least, and I got a little cocky. If instead I had gone straight for the back end, taken my original plan, bitten them, and taken them out, it might have been a different fight. But about a minute in, you can see my one side stopped moving. My speed control literally desoldered. It got so hot. It melted. The parts fell out of it. The MOSFETs were laying in the body of the robot. Yeah. Oh, geez. Hard to drive with no speed controller. <laughs> we, we've, it's, it's, a, it's something that happens all too often in, in, in BattleBots. Yeah. Um, moving, moving into your fight with, with Slapbox, this is a, a completely different bot than, uh, than, than Smee. Uh, you know, now you're now you're dealing with, um, you know, someone who's probably got a little bit more, a little bit more traction, a little bit more push and pull. Uh, you know, what 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 formula do you bring into a fight against a bot like Slapbox? Not being cocky at all. I was actually a little bit worried going into that fight because of his reach. That bot is strong. It's very well made. I mean. I love family teams. That's one of my big things in the sport is getting more families involved. So I love family teams. I went over and I talked to him and checked out the bot. And that thing is just amazingly well built. The reach on it was much longer than mine. And I knew I was having issues keeping my front end down. So I went into that fight just hoping I could get a good grab on him. And I never quite did. I mean, he just he outmaneuvered me and outpowered me and took me out. Well, I would say that you you did grab onto him for uh, probably one of the greatest uh, shots in this season so far of of battle bots. You you managed to clamp right down on that front lifter wedge just in time for him to kind of hoist you up into the air like a trophy uh, a trophy shark. Right, uh, suplex. That was so beautiful. You know, I could have said, "Matt, let go." I mean, I could have at any point called a release. My weapons man was looking at me, waiting for me to call the release. And I was like, that looks so freaking cool. That is awesome. Look what he's doing. And then I realized, oh, sh <laughs> it's on my phone. I was enjoying the spectacle myself from the driver's box. It just totally spaced out on the fact that I could end it at any point. And that's when I, you can see we fell off and went, dude, let go. I think that's like, and that's one of the coolest, uh, 
that's like the coolest ethos that you could really have kind of coming into the Stevens. Like some people they're they're just they're in it and it's like their entire um uh their you know in their entire driving force is to get the giant nut to win. You're just there having the time of your life and I love watching that. The community is awesome, the, the sport is awesome. Everything about it, I mean, it, kids, it teaches kids mechanics, electronics, mechanical work, how to budget, how to take care of traveling, how to work as a team. I mean, there's really nothing bad about this sport. And how many other places in the world can I fight a 250-pound robot shark against a steel, fire-breathing dinosaur? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't uh, happen. Yeah, probably not a whole lot of places where you wouldn't get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> I still have a picture from that fight as my desktop on my fight with Warhead. I love it. I love it. That was such a fun fight, man. That was so fun. It's one of those memories I will have for the rest of my life. Nobody can ever grab that memory out of my head. It's there. It's, I mean, I'll, it's forever. That's in my head. Like, oh, look what I got to do. That's so cool. Now, can you, because this was a very unconventional year leading up to the to the filming of the season of BattleBots. Can you tell us a little bit of what it was like to get uh, to get a bot ready, uh, to, you know, during COVID, and 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 what it took to actually bring Sharko to this season of BattleBots? As it's been touched on a couple times, and I'm not sure we'll touch on it before. Last season, the day we drove to BattleBots was the day John found out he had cancer. So that was not this season, last of the year before, 2019, uh, 2019 yeah. And that, so it was a rough year for us. We worked on the Bob, but we were obviously preoccupied with other issues. We had a business together. We had to close the business down, sell the house, yada, yada, yada. Amongst all that, I had to buy the RV and then COVID and then everything at the same time. We still managed to get a robot running, but I had to sell it to be able to afford to go to the event. So it was rough, but, but I got there. I got it done and I got to the event. He didn't win crap all, but he got there. <laughs> and and what was your experience like when you when you actually got to Los Angeles for filming? What was your experience like in the pits? And uh, you have some new team members, uh, Zach and Dominic. What, what What's it like working with them? And can you tell us a little bit about them? Zach and Dom are awesome. Uh, Zach is the builder, driver, captain for uh, Deviled Egg. Everybody remember that one. And it's funny because Deviled Egg was one of the very first bot. Was I hit Kraken first, but Deviled Egg was the first bot I ever knocked out with Sharko. And this year he was on my team. <laughs> I, thought, I just thought that was kind of funny. And Dom has never been to a battle bots in his life. This was his first time, and he's totally hooked. They were talking about building a new Devil Egg and coming out. If it hadn't been for them, I never would have made it through the event like I did. I mean, those guys, they were they were really a heaven sent because w without them, like I say, I wouldn't have been able to haul them. My car isn't big enough. I would have had to make three trips hauling things back and forth from the desert to the event. It, it was ridiculous. Have you ever tried hauling a 250-pound robot by yourself? Uh, no, I... <laughs> I, I struggle. I struggle sometimes uh, loading laundry. So and, uh, I have to do by myself. And his tail, because of the way it moves, he's not easy to pick up. And now the new one with the jaw that lifts up, it makes him even harder to pick up. It's like in pot. He's like a big slippery fish, and picking him up by myself is impossible. 
And those guys, they were great. They both knew what they were doing, and they really helped out. I'm ecstatic that I had them. I wish I'd have won some money so I could have paid them. How well did you um, did you folks like adapt to the to the COVID measures and 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 you know your uh, you know your experience in the pits? The pits were amazing, and there's one thing I can say is if we have this much room in the pits every event, everybody would be happy because the exclusion zones and the areas that they cut out were humongous. You had room for everything. You had room for all your tools and all your stuff and your couch and your tables. And everybody had living rooms in their pits. And it was just amazing. There was a tape line around the pit. You just didn't cross the pit, the tape line into someone else's pit. That's simple. In the morning, you get your temperature taken when you come on set. It wasn't even an oral. I mean, they, they look at you with the little laser temperature taker on your forehead. Every three days, we took a COVID test which is, you know, shoving the Q-tip up your nose, which, as you guys know, shoving things up your nose is not really a big issue for me. <laughs> so, you know. And, and perhaps you could elaborate on that because that might really freak some people out. The human blockhead was an act that I did for 28 years, and it's where you take a six-inch nail and hammer it into your nose with a hammer. It's called the blockhead. I can do it with an ice pick and screwdrivers and all kinds. And it does generally freak people out when I take a swizzle stick out of a drink, shove it all the way up my nose, then I slam my drink to the bar and go, ah, 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 ah. And everybody looks over to pull the thing out of my nose. And they're all like, oh, my God. Let's just go back to drinking my drink and wonder why everybody's looking at me funny. That's <laughs> uh, I, I can't think of a better way to earn a free drink. It does. Come on. There's another story behind that, too, but that's a different story. So <laughs> I'm sure now that people have a very uh, good grasp on the idea that you are a very unconventional person. And you've been doing actually something very unconventional uh, out there to occupy your time in the uh, in the Southern Californian desert. Uh, you've been, uh, you know, documenting your journey online, building this off-grid compound in the, in the desert and you know, I this is something that I had been sending some comments back and forth, you know, with you over the, you know, over the, the time that you were building. A, it's it's because um, I'm always fascinated in this architecture that's called Earthships, which is about like kind of like a passive way to store and collect energy uh, yeah. in a home. Um, and you you're out there just like living this kind of dream where you get to take a, a totally blank canvas and you know, with the the most minimum amount of resources possible, build like you know, uh, you know, kind of whatever your imagination will allow you to. So, tell us a little bit about what the process has been like, uh, you know, building out there, and what you hope to achieve and and continue to build out there. Well, you know, a lot of people dream about having a lifestyle like this, and it's not the easiest in the world, but it is very rewarding because, as you said, when I came here, this was desert. It was completely covered in cactus. I mean, you, you couldn't even walk on the ground. It, I had to shovel every last thorny bush out of here. But now I've got four nice little buildings, and soon when I connect them, I'll put a hot tub in the middle. I've got my own water collection system. I've got water purification. I've got um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight solar panels running right now and a lantern-style wind turbine. I am living completely 100% off the grid. 
and I love everything about it. It's, it's a lot of work. You people get up and they go to work in the morning. I get up and go to work in the morning. Instead of going to work for somebody else, I just go to work for myself. And you know, it's it's it. You're off the grid. You're you're kind of um, you're on your own. But you do you do need some other resources that aren't exact exactly accessible. You have to go actually get water, right? I have to drive 14 miles for water. It's almost 3,000 foot down the hill and then 3,000 foot back up the hill. It's a seven mile trip one way. And it, it, what I do is I take a 55 gallon drum, put it in the back of the truck. I go down the hill, fill it up with water, bring it back up the hill and transfer it out of that tank into another tank. So I have a big 55 gallon drum up on the stand behind the kitchen building. That way I really have running water inside my kitchen. Mm. And you do have, like you mentioned, a, a water filtration system, but how much rain do you actually get down there? I actually have had some rain. I've been here um, eight months now. I've had it rain once, one time. It rained about a half inch, and then the next morning it rained about another quarter inch. That was it. In the eight months I've been here, that one day was the only time it ever rained. Wow. This is the high desert. It does wow. not rain out here. And what, what are you looking at for, like, peak temperatures there? My days got over 120 when I first moved out here. The days were over 120 degrees. The first couple of days I was out here, it was, it was just ridiculous. And uh, for those who might not know, how does one stay alive when it's 120 degrees? <laughs> 120 degrees. You are very carefully, actually, uh, it, there's a couple of tricks you can do, but you just got to keep your core temperature down. The easiest way is to build a humidifier and, you know, five dollar bucket with some water in it and you run a fan over it. That, uh, that's what I did in the RV. I built two big humidifiers out of five dollar buckets. 12 volt fan ran air past the water and it brought nice cool air into the RV. My RV was less than 100 degrees. It was usually 92, 93 when it was 120 outside. Yeah, I lived in so I lived in Phoenix uh, for for several years, and you know a lot of people don't realize even on days where it's 115, 117, it's it's generally going to be sunny and very very dry. So if you do get moisture onto your skin by like either a, some kind of humidifier or like a spray system, um, if you're in the shade and it's even a slightly breezy, you can feel cold. If it's you're amazing, you can actually get shivers from it. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of moisture on a hot skin, and you could get cold. I've I've definitely sat outside on a hundred plus degree day eating chicken wings at like an outdoor restaurant in Phoenix, and I'm almost freezing because like you're right underneath one of those things pelting you. With heads. Yeah, I love those things. <laughs> but um, you know, it's an exchange. I, I don't mind 120 degree dealing with that kind of extreme weather to have the kind of life that I have. You have to deal with some things. You can't do this in a city. You can't live like this in a high-rise apartment. There's absolutely no way. I wanted a man cave, so I built a man cave. You can't do that in the city. It just it doesn't work like that. So you mentioned that with the uh, with the kind of like the local statutes down there, you can't have uh, you know a a domicile that's more than 110 square feet. That's why you kind of have this network of different buildings, and each building serves like a different purpose, right? Can you take us through a quick tour? In, in this county, I'm right on the county line. San Diego County is 100 square foot. The county I'm in is 110 square foot. 
So I have two buildings that are 100 square foot, literally on one side of the county line. And I have two buildings on the other side of the county line that are 110 square foot. They don't need to be permitted. I don't have to have permission. There's no requirements for them at all because they're under that size. So this one is my office. It's the man cave. One is my bedroom or will be when I get done with it. One is the kitchen and one is the shop. The shop was basically the first one I got up and running. I got the man cave done so I'd have an office, but I had to have a place for my tools. So I put the shop up, got it all put together, and now I'm just slowly finishing the compound out. And then whenever you'd like, each one of them can double as a sauna. <laughs> yeah, any day, you know. <laughs> Actually, it would be really hard to overheat in one of these. I don't know if you saw the design, but they all have, they kind of like have UFO windows around the roof. Every one of them has amazing breeze flow through. When it's 110 outside, it's 85 inside with no air conditioning at all. These things work amazingly well. Yeah, I was I was fascinated watching you because they went up so quick, um, and you know you it's like you have like the rigid polyfoam, and then it almost looked like you were doing some kind of um, like a like a clay or uh, you know like a plaster siding that went on the outside. Is that to kind of uh, there's help? six cement poles buried two foot in the ground and cemented down. Those mm -hmm. are big big poles. To those, I attached that plywood. This is an OSB particle board, but it's a special kind. It's made with a metal foil on it as a heat-resistant layer. It's specifically designed to be used in the desert in hot conditions. That's what the bottom layer is. Then I put the foam over top of that. So it's plywood and foam. Over top of all that, I cover it with canvas, paint the canvas. What that does, it lets everything underneath it move because it's 120 in the day and 70 at night. Everything expands and contracts. It expands and contracts a lot. If I don't give foam joints for that to do that, and then it would all just crack and break apart. So the canvas lets things move underneath. Over top of that canvas, then I put cement on top for decoration and for strength because the canvas is still going to move underneath the cement. Hmm. So it's a process, but once it's done, it's a very solid building. It's really cool in the air, and they cost about $500 each to put up. That's really, really impressive, uh, and it's, it's, um, it makes such a smaller impact, like, and, and like a, a footprint for a human being than <clears throat> virtually any other type of dwelling that someone could have. Uh, you know, I, I know that there's a huge movement, especially in the Southwest, to to kind of start building uh, residences that aren't so cookie cutter um, and that have less of an environmental impact. And that's, that's, it's just, it's, it's cool that someone uh, in an area with, with, you know, uh, with, without running water, you know, can just, can, you know, create a living and, 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 and you're doing it and you're documenting it, which is, which is really awesome. Well, it's exciting to me. So I figured it might be exciting to some other people. It's fun to be low imprint because I think we're really destroying the earth. I mean, we really are. We are just fast destroying the earth. I know my one little change ain't going to help much, but it's me. That's who I am. I, I just got to do what I can. Do you see, is there other, um, is there other folks out there that are, that are doing something similar? I'm sure there is somewhere. <laughs> There's nobody close to me at all. I'm like I say, way, way, I'm, I'm close to an interstate, so I see a lot of cars go by, but nobody ever stops. 
you know, and then the exit used to have a rock shop. And back when uh, the Wild West was still a thing, there was a saloon and a horse, a farrier and a blacksmith. And, you know, all that's gone and torn down. So I'm basically hanging out in an old abandoned western Wild West city in the desert. Yeehaw. Yeah, I love it. It's great scenery. <laughs> Uh, any any other uh, plans to build any other structures or or w what's next on your agenda there? I'm I'm out of money, <laughs> boy. Am I out of money? When I sold the shark, I, and I, that was part of the deal was I was going to use most of the money to build this compound after the event. I had to you know make sure I got to the event and use the money that I needed to for parts and stuff to get through the event. And it took a little over two thousand bucks to do that. The rest of it's gone to this compound and i'm kind of out of money but what i need to do is finish the connections in between these four so they become a solid little unit because the wildlife out here would never let me grow anything to eat the mice and the rats and the desert animals would just strip anything bare i need to get gates up in between the little houses and make it a little bit of a compound then i can start farming and growing food inside here and a hot tub i need a hot tub <laughs> Or depending on uh, time of year, you might need a cold tub. Oh, I need a hot tub for my back. Right like on. The only thing is that one, I had scoliosis and spinal bifida. Which means that's why I want, if you ever look at a picture of me, you see me and my, my neck is always bent. And I'm generally bent over like a hunchback. I had scoliosis and spinal bifida. I'm a, I'm a hunchback. And the uh, hot water in the hot tubs, it, it's like the only thing that stops all that pain. Wow. And, that, and so the... Uh, I take it then the uh, the cane that you that you that you wield as a as part of a costume accessory is actually functional. Oh, absolutely functional. You know, I'm like a lot of handicapped people. I can walk. I can run. I can do jumping jacks. However, the sixth jumping jack would probably break my left knee, and I wouldn't be able to walk for another week. So if I, you know, I'll forget and I'll get in a hurry and I'll do something I shouldn't do and I'll twist a knee. And then I have to have the cane for a week or two. Mm. I don't always need it unless I make a mistake. But, yeah, it's not just a prop. It is definitely a functional piece of my accoutrement. <laughs> uh, I like that word, accoutrement. 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 I think uh, so we can, we can jump into some fan questions. We have, uh, we have lots of them. I will, uh, I'll pass it off to Kyle, who's going to jump right in. Hey Ed, how you doing? What's up? <laughs> What's up? All right, so I got a series of fan questions. I'm going to give you some of them, and then Lindsay's going to give you some more. Uh, the first one is from B is for BattleBots illustrator Caleb Kempson. He has a, he has an art related question for you. Um, so, what inspires you to make such cool and artistic, beautiful bots? And what comes first in the design process, form or function, or a mixture of the two? You know, Caleb's art is one of the reasons I build robots like I do. To, to have kids like him draw pictures like he does. I want to inspire people to get to get into this. And just a square box with four wheels on it doesn't do that. A big thing that's recognizable like a shark does. So every shark that I've, every bot I've built, and my other ones were monkeys. Before that, it was an alligator. Every bot I've ever built before I even think about anything, it's, how can I tie a weapon to an animal? That is actually where my robots start. What is the most effective weapon I can tie 
to a specific animal type and can I turn that animal into a robot? That's where my robots come from. I like that. Um, and you have built some beautiful animal-themed robots in this country and in other countries. Um, all right, so next question comes from Francois from Pelser, which I'm sure I'm butchering that name. I don't French very well. Uh, your bot is beautiful. How you. do you have such perfect tail movement? Is it motorized or is it just free and the shark movement makes the rest? It is practice. Hours and hours and hours and hours, and I can't tell you how many hours over the last two decades of practicing that tail slap. Every single time I turn that robot on, I go practice tail slapping. I've been doing it since, like I said before, back when you see my first appearance at Robot Wars, when I come out of the thing, the tail is swinging. I do it by moving my thumbs. It's called puppeteering. It is not powered. It's all done manually through the control. That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it is pretty impressive. And I love the kind of mix of cool movement that the tail does, but also, you know, like functional weapon that the movement gets. You know, you get aggression points by slapping with that tail. It's I said a really big hunk of steel is back there for it. Plastic is fun, but it needs steel to be a weapon. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so Alexander Archer, I know he asks, I know that you're zero and two right now, but you're always in a happy mood and in a great um, and a great sport. Are you here just to put on a good show for the fans? And having said that, will this be your last season? Yes and yes, but actually no and no. How's that for an answer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, putting on a good show is important to me, but it's not the only reason I'm here. I'm here to have fun. I love BattleBots. I love designing them. I love building them. I love fighting them. I love the community. I love the people. I love Greg and Trey. I mean, I just, I love everything about this sport. So I, I love doing it. That's why I do it. However, putting on a good show is important to me, and it's a lot more important than winning a nut. Putting on a good show is very, very high on my list. Yes, this will be my last season at this point because I don't have another robot yet. And I'm about 6,000 short of having another robot for next season. If I can come up with the money or sponsor or whatever to build, finish Nuba, then yes, I'll be back. But otherwise, this was my last season, yes. Gotcha. Um, Alexander's next question is a bit of a touchy one, but uh, I'll ask it anyway. How hard has 2020 been for you? Not just because of the pandemic, but because you've lost a great friend and teammate to cancer um, can you elaborate a little bit on on him and um, you know how this experience going to BattleBots without him has been for you? Well, it's actually my life. You know, it's been a really interesting life, but because it has been, the last few years have not been great. I had one thing after the other happened, and I first lost my career, then I lost my job, then I almost died swallowing a sword, so I had to retire from doing that for a living. I retired to being a camp host, and then the world changed and they eliminated all the campus positions and then i lost john and then the COVID and and, and everything one after the other it's it, everything i could do this year not to succumb but you just can't give up you can't give up no matter what the heck happens you got to keep rolling you just got to keep on doing it and you got to keep doing what you love because when you stop doing what you love that's when you stop living and i love battle bots so i did 
everything I possibly could in my power to get there, and I made it. So I did what I meant to do. You made it, and you put on some really good matches for us, for sure. Yeah, it was fun. Um, so Alexander's next question for you. What exactly are the new owners of Sharko going to use him for? I think this is a question a lot of fans had. <laughs> yeah, originally, and it was strange because there was a lot of secrecy involved. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to just sell him. I wanted to adopt him. Literally, to make sure he was going to be carried on correctly. And they had told me they were going to use him as the house bot at Norwalk Havoc Robot Club. And because Sharko was the house bot in Las Vegas Street Fight for years, he's good at that. It's, it's kind of in his blood, if you want to say it. It's part of his pedigree. Because this version was a flipper, that's also good for a house bot. Because it's not a really damaging weapon. So I thought this is a great plan. He actually offered me a little more money than I was asking to get himself to the front of the line. And that's he got himself to the front of the line and got the bot. Now that they have him, however, and this is where the story gets fun, he's too big to fit in the arena. He is over six foot long, over three foot wide, and the new arena is just too small for him to be a house spot inside the arena. So they are putting him on display. He will be a permanent museum display there, I believe. They're getting all the parts out of it to build a new house spot for their arena. That's going to be pretty cool. I, I uh, have seen Charco. <laughs> Full disclosure, so Luke and I do uh, some announcing work over there for their events, and uh, I have gotten to see Sharko um, in the new space. The new space isn't all the way set up yet, but uh, Sharko is out and in the open. He's uh, ready to be put on display out there. I know he's and planning on putting him between the two arenas, so that's going to be cool. See that damage Brian did to him with Shredderator? Yes, I did. <laughs> you can see how big that steel is up under that mouth. A lot of people thought I was kidding, man. That's all quarter-inch AR-500 in there. <laughs> it took some big wax and barely got an inch in there. I mean, I was impressed. That is pretty impressive, yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to pass you off to our dear friend, Lindsay. Hey, Ed. Uh, I just want to say uh, how jealous uh -huh. <laughs> of Kyle for being able to have seen Sharko um, at, at Norwalk Havoc. I was saying this to Chris, you know, la last week, I think after the last episode, that Sharko is one of the, the bots this season that I have been most excited to see every time it comes yeah. up because it just looks better than ever. And it's so, so, so beautiful. Um, so I'm happy so that it's going to be on display at Norwalk. Um, because man, you just nice, nice work on that, and thank you for uh, sharing it with the world. It really makes me happy too. Because if he'd stayed here, he would not have been a solid shark in about a month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he would have been stripped for parts in a month. He would not have lasted long here at all. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Um, all right, so we have a question here from Graham Grizz Glover the Third, who wants to know <clears throat> at the okay. start. The most recent fight versus Slapbox, you popped Sharko's mouth and something flew off. Did this affect the match and the way the oh, he saw that? I wondered if anybody was going to catch that. <laughs> that was yeah. our battery cover. Oh, has some armor. There, there's the battery is up under there. The battery obviously bolts down securely on its own without the cover. That's an important thing. Anybody that's ever seen the, uh, I think it was Will Bale's fight with Hypershock. When he got flipped and the batteries went flying through the air. 
And yeah. I learned, I learned during that fight, always super secure your batteries. So they're secure down inside with a piece of armor over top. On top of that is a plate armor and then the skin decoration. What fell off was the skin decoration, the HTPE skin. And what happened, it fell into the jaw. Oh, it went wow. Into the mechanism and kept the mouth from closing all the way. And so instantly, as soon as I started the fight, I was a little bit off center. But it didn't really affect anything. It just kept me from being able to close the mouth until it fell off all the way. It didn't affect the functionality really at all. Yeah, yeah. Graham was wondering if it was cosmetic or not, and it sounds like it was a, a little bit of both. So A little bit of both. It was a cosmetic panel, but one, one hit in that area, my batteries were exposed at that point. Wow. Wow. Piece to fall off, yeah. Uh, Graham also follows up by saying, P.S., I hope to be as awesome as you are when I grow up. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm sure he already is. <laughs> All right, we have we have uh, not a question, but just something that Matthew Cahoy wanted to say to you. He says, "Not not a question, but I wanted to say thank you for all you've given to the sport. I've always said Sharko embodies the spirit of BattleBots more than anyone." That's so cool. Thank you so much, man. And, and you know that's what it's about. If I can be a little bit of a role model here and there, that's pretty cool. You know, I like that. I'm not yeah, you, you've got a lot of fans. I'm not going to cry, I promise. <laughs> and then the, the last... I'm, uh, killing onions. I'm cutting onions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a lot of onions in this room all um, of a sudden. <laughs> damn onions. <laughs> the, the last uh, couple questions here comes from L. Irene. And she says, I'm really sad to see you go. Do you have any plans to return to BattleBots in the future? Which I, I know you kind of touched on. But uh, so you mentioned you know, having plans for another bot underway, if, if you're able to secure the funding for it, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the concept of it, if it's not too further along than plans, there's a frame and a body and motors, and he's a running, driving robot at this point in time. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's designed, if you, if you go on my um, YouTube channel, it's Monkey Boy, M-N-K-E-E, B-O-Y. Everything I do is M-N-K-E-E-B-O-Y on YouTube. That's my username. You'll see I posted a couple of video pictures of it. The wings go up and down. I can adjust the weapon height. I can use it for self-writing. And I want to put dual undercutters on the front of it. Right now, it's a running, driving robot. I just got to put weapons and a skin on it. Wow. Well, hopefully there's something we can do to try and help you get the, the funding for that. Cause I know that's something we would all, all love to see. Um, and, and all the merchandise, all the money, anything that goes to monkey boy at Gmail. That's my PayPal account. All right. You hear to hear folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, an elf. hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, always entertaining, Ed. Um, L <laughs> follows up by saying, P.S. Love your wholesomeness, Ed. I hope whatever you pursue in the future it brings you happiness. Huzzah! You know, that's all anybody can ask of life. You got to be happy. Amen to that. 
Amen. And thank you so much for talking to us. You're always entertaining and uh, we, we love hearing your stories and, and picking your brain. So thank you so much. And and we do hope that uh, we get to see your next creation in the battle box again soon. Let's keep our fingers crossed. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of robots around the world. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week we are traveling to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where a group of engineers from Harvard University are building schools of robotic fish capable of performing underwater tasks without any external signals. So watch out, MIT. There's a new robotics master in charge, and it's Harvard. Uh, The fish are designed to swim together as a group without having to connect to GPS or Wi-Fi, simply by keeping an eye on the LED lights attached to the fins of the robotic fish around them. The researchers even designed a simple game where the fish spread out to search for an object and then gathered around the fish who found it first. So that's pretty cute. It's, a, I imagine, a great way to maintain a aquarium without having to, you know, do any of the inconvenient tasks of uh, cleaning it and whatnot. So that's kind of cool. Um, what are they going to be using this for? What do you, what do you think? Finding submarines and mines in the ocean that's my that's my first thought whenever i see uh you know cute little robots what nefarious military purpose can they be used for my 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 thoughts are that they're gonna finally try to find nemo (laughs) oh god he got Uh, found did you not see the movie they totally found him twice uh, I, I also went to kind of the, uh, the the darkest application of this. I mean, the idea is that you could potentially drop hundreds of thousands of robotic fish into uh, the ocean uh, and have them go off and complete a mission all by themselves without any direction from, from Wi-Fi or from GPS um, just by kind of building like a cloud of fish, you know, that, that go out and try and find something, take photos of something, um, go and do something. Um, and the implications of this are, are pretty interesting. You know, like a school of fish is, is pretty difficult to defeat for, for many different reasons. Um, and a school of robotic fish uh, is something that kind of chills me, I guess, a little bit when I think about them in, in the ocean. Does this give the birds aren't real conspiracy people a little bit more of a leg to stand on? Oh, Lindsay, tell us more about the, these these birds that aren't real. Um, so yeah, there's like a, a conspiracy out there uh, <laughs> that birds aren't real. Um, that they are actually, I think, like robotic, uh, like surveillance drones. That, uh, that uh, you know, capture your moves and your whereabouts and, and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you can have a functioning and independent school of robotic fish, I guess what's to say you can't have, uh, you know, robotic surveillance birds. Do you know, do you know why it's called a school of fish? <laughs> why is it called a school of fish? Uh, because you can find them in the ABCs. 
Get Matt Spurk. He's going to love that. Uh, Kyle, you were saying. I was. Yes. Um, just so everybody knows, the Birds Aren't Real conspiracy uh, actually alleges that birds went extinct um, in the 1950s and were replaced by spies and drones uh, by the CIA afterwards. And all birds are actually just spy drones flying around. What about chickens and turkeys? You know, like, are they're, they're birds, right? Yes. And eat they're spy drones. They're spy, they're spy. They're edible spy drones. Is that right? Well, the meat that you eat at the grocery store is not uh, real chicken or turkey. It is uh, grown in labs from chicken and turkey uh, genes that were collected back in the 1950s. Uh, I, I feel like I'm pretty connected to internet culture, but not nearly as much as the three of you. So is this is this like a real thing that people actually believe? Or is this like flat earth where it was initially a joke and then people came in and believed it later? Like, is there anyone, is there actually a human anywhere on the planet that believes the birds aren't real? Yes, and yes. I mean, that's how these things start. They they start as jokes, and then they get taken very seriously by somebody, and then there becomes like a weird trollception thing that happens where like there are people that are promoting the conspiracy because they're trolling, and then there's people that believe the conspiracy for real, and then other people troll them for believing a weird conspiracy. And then other people pretend they believe in the conspiracy to, so they control the trolls who are trolling the people who believe in the conspiracy. So if there are people out there that don't believe in fish, uh, send us a note, you know, let, let, let me know. <laughs> Take us home, Chris. Well, now I just feel guilty. That's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Fish are not for real. <laughs>